Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, another great show dealing with uh, physics and metaphysics and uh, spiritual subjects, and uh, specifically spiritual memory and reincarnation. So that's what we're going to be covering tonight. I thought it would be a, for whatever reason, a good night to do that. And uh, I've covered reincarnation in general, but not some of the ideas I will will be talking about tonight. Uh, as usual, I, I embellish or and or just create a completely different kind of show than any time before about similar subjects. So this will be, I think, uh, considerably different. And one of the, one of the areas that uh, I want to explore, which is the physics uh, issue is the question about how quantum fields affect um, issues about memory. And what is a quantum field? A quantum field is a field that is created by the thought within it of uh, a being that creates itself from the field and then causes that field effectively to do some other things, which might be to create new fields and to grow and to change from its original uh, self-creation. Now, for a lot of people, they'll say, well, I don't know how something can create itself. Tonight, we're not going to get that deep into that issue because that's a whole other show. But it does relate to the question of a soul. And uh, spiritual memory and reincarnation is really not the memory of a human being. It's a memory about a soul, and as a soul becomes more, I mean, as a human becomes more a part of the soul that it came from, while it is in physical, astral, or lower mental incarnation, that's what we're talking about now. And that is the, really the premise, we'll say, of what spiritual memory has to be about, because uh, the human being doesn't really have memory of past lives. Only the soul does. Now, that's a kind of strange idea, because a lot of people say, well, I can remember something from a past life. But that has to do with uh, some of the inquiry and thoughts and uh, teachings that I'm going to go over tonight, so that it will be kind of uh, a journey of sorts to uh, fill in what most people don't know about reincarnation. And I think that it'll be real helpful because most people, when they start thinking about reincarnation, come up with a whole slew, literally, of contradictions. And they have trouble getting through those contradictions. Most of the contradictions have to do with the belief or misthinking, we'll say, uh, that humans remember. The human being themselves, remembers something coming from a prior lifetime. And uh, that is just really not uh, a true statement, and I'll explain all of that in the next 40 minutes, actually. (laughs) But from that point, then we're going to go in from from the basic concept to some much more, we'll say, practical ones that have to do with how people live their lives and uh, why is it that uh, some people can and can't remember, even at different times in their lives, certain things? And why can somebody remember something they did, but they can't remember their name as an example in a prior lifetime? A lot, a lot of stuff like that people 
have very, we'll say, good questions about this subject. All right, so let me start again with this quantum field thing. Uh, the soul creates itself, okay, from, with some assistance, by the way, from a uh, alter ego being called a, some people call it a guardian angel, solar angel. Uh, doesn't matter what you want to call it. It's a, it's a higher kind of soul uh, than the human soul. And it helps the soul in the very beginning of its existence and then throughout uh, at somewhat lesser amounts uh, as the soul develops. And the soul develops its higher self and uh, who and what it is uh, by taking a piece of itself that we call the human incarnate and uh, sending it, so to speak, but also travel. it travels uh, from the higher mental world, specifically the fourth sub-subplane of the um, uh, second subplane of the middle world. Now you might say, well, that sounds pretty complicated. It's not. It's just a very specific and very small, almost, place that the soul inhabits. And from that, from that point, the soul is really, uh, we could say, a uh, uh, a split being. It, it no longer is controlling the piece of itself that it uh, elects, and this piece is involved in the election, by the way, uh, to do the pilgrim traveling to where it begins to live its life in the physical world where we are right now. But that's a long way <laughs> from where the soul is in dimensional space. It's not that that close, really. And um, the reason for this, and the reason the soul doesn't ad hoc in its whole existence come here to live is because the sacrifice of the human uh, human being is to come here and to, unfortunately, uh, be adversely affected by the density of energy and the lack of light in form, which is called to that is uh, easily created, or not easily created, and the also, uh, we'll say, the struggles and suffering. This is too much for a being, the magnitude in, consci- in consciousness of the soul itself. So it sends a lesser part of itself that is going to suffer the consequences <laughs> of going through life here. Now, why would it do that? <laughs> I mean, what's so great about here? What's so great about here is that this is a place that humans can, and the soul itself can, grow the most of God. I know it sounds weird, because it seems like it's such a foul place. Why would you, <laughs> you want to grow the heart of God, why not grow it from the higher mental world where the soul is, or above it? But um, actually, the lower you go, the more there's a need to grow God, not the higher. And the differentiation of life becomes vastly increased from the mental world to here, uh, and differentiation is part of God's plan. So we're participating in this grand scheme to grow more of our Creator in a co-growth method. We're growing, and the Creator grows from our growth. And the Creator isn't in charge of it. As a matter of fact, the soul 
is not in charge of it. It sort of says, well, uh, contact me when you can, and you only can when you are creating using some of the consciousness that I exist in. We'll talk more about that through tonight's show. But if you're not going to use that consciousness, well, you're on your own, and you're going to suffer, and it's going to be a mess down there. And um, we choose to go. We being what is there of who we are. But another odd thing takes place, and that is the soul lives in this quantum field that it is creating for itself of lifetimes of experiences going to the physical, astral, and lower mental worlds in that order, and uh, in each, quote-unquote, one of its human lifetimes. And it does this for six to seven hundred, give or take, lifetimes before it has uh, reached a, a state where it can free itself from the mental world and actually ascend to the Buddhic realm. That's a whole, whole other thing, which I'm not going to define that much tonight, but there are many shows like that that you can listen to. So here is a soul that is actually growing through each human life experience in three different realms. The three different realms are, again, the physical, and the human goes on to live in the astral. It still has memory of the physical, by the way. And then it goes on to live in the lower mental, and it still has memory of the astral in the physical, but it's in the lower mental world. So the human is going through three versions of lifetimes, we'll say, in different times and spaces, and is trying to create, hopefully, some level of light, which is uh, God's thought, or spiritual thought, in form. And so this is what the human being is doing, in the forms of the dimensions that we just talked about. That's fine, nothing wrong with that. Uh, so you could almost say that the soul has, like, three subversions of each one of its human life uh, lifetimes, if we count them up, there's the... There's the etheric physical, and most people just join those two together as the physical. There's the astral and the lower mental. So that's three times, let's call it 800, that'd be 2,400 versions of a kind of uh, creation of more of God in the lower realms. Well, that sounds more like, makes sense, you know? I mean, it isn't done overnight by any stretch. Uh, the lifetime of a human, uh, when you incorporate all these other uh, worlds, is actually substantial. And so is, um, there's a, some pause between the, the whole reincarnation point, where the human returns to the soul, and uh, the reincarnation next takes place. There's still some time there, too. So it's not a small amount of time for each one of these lifetimes. In reality could be hundreds of thousands to over a million years. So it's a very, very long time. Now, you, some of you might say, well, human time been around that long. Well, we have. It's just that uh, the record of human beings is not, not very far back. Nowadays, a lot of people would agree some form of human being probably was around uh, maybe a million years ago. But, you know, that's, this, is, this is because the real history of this is mostly not there. Uh, and archaeology, and particularly paleontology, is not really being of much assistance these days because of the confusions of evolution and the question of something called de-evolution, which is not part of evolution until it is. And I can be able to straighten out the problems I have. But 
for us right now, the important thing to realize here is the quantum field that we all exist in is the field in terms of spiritual memory of our soul and not us. Well, we could say, well, we're living in, including the dilated time, we might be living in thousands, lower thousands, a couple thousand years or so. Um, that seems like a long time, but that isn't the real amount that time because that's just for us in this one existence. It isn't uh, for the whole soul's existence, which is who we really are. And our spiritual memory is contained in the soul. We can't reach that memory unless we're in contact with and doing some of the soul's work while we're here, which is co-creating with our creator and creating virtue in all the realms that we live in. So, you see, uh, this whole story really does belong to the soul, and it has to do with what we consider to be us. Most people think of themselves as their lower self and their personal interests or personality. Uh, If that's who you think you are, then tonight's show won't mean much to you, and (laughs) that's too bad. I'm sorry about that. But the reason it won't is because you're only going to be able to fathom what I'm saying from a perspective that is extremely so limited that it doesn't incorporate much of any of your soul's mission and the soul's journey, the soul's overall life. But if you're more into this stuff than that, you're more into wanting to live as a soul, this, this show should really perk you up because it's defining something that a lot of people are confused about. Uh, I've not discussed this subject at this in this way before, somewhat because it requires a little more sophistication in thinking than some, some of the times in the past I thought the audiences that were listening to me was really interesting. But tonight and in the future, I have decided that more and more of my shows will have to do with things that people may not have a stronger grasp on or, as uh, uh, we'll say, much understanding about as, we'll say, is absolutely needed to fully understand what I'm talking about and to even maybe be interested in, except that I think that more and more people are becoming interested in wanting to understand this better than in the past. Well, because of my own teaching and hopefully because I believe optimistically that people grow and change and will continue to do, to do so. So for that, I will say, spiritual memory becomes a big deal. Where is spiritual memory found? Well, it's found in a place called the spiritual part of the conceptual mind. It's where, it's where the soul has some input into the concepts that are created, it starts from, again, I'm going to use these weird numbers, that's for the few people who understand what this means, it's okay. It, it starts at the uh, the fourth uh, sub-plane of the third subplane, and uh, it goes um, to and through uh, the very top of the mental world, all the way. 
And most of the spiritual uh, evidence comes from not the first to the fourth subplanes of the third subplane, although there's a little bit there. Uh, most of it comes from the second tier of subsubplanes. That uh, is where the soul actually resides. Now, it actually has a strong enough thought process that it does affect even places that are beyond where it resides, which is the third tier. And personalities that have mixed thought of selfishness along with periods usually shorter than that, of uh, being other-directed and uh, being uh, concerned about service and serving other people and wanting to live a bit as a soul. They may have mixtures of this. They they can still contact the personality can of a part of the soul. If you want to get higher than that, the personality is kind of ineffective to get anywhere. So a person has to literally become a part of the field, the quantum field the soul exists in, by creating her or himself into that part of that field. And you do it through interaction with others in spiritual service and uh, learning things like what we're doing tonight and also doing some meditative aspects and uh, inward journeys. All that put together gives you that ability to reach into the spiritual memory of the soul. And these these concepts are all the stuff that you hear me talk about. Isn't that wonderful? So when people listen to my shows, and if they read the material I've written, and if they do some meditation about those things, and they use them to interact with other people in service to them so they can become more spiritual themselves, and they do it for that motive, uh, they change themselves to be able to remember more of their prior life. Just doing that will bring up their memories. They may recognize people that they meet, they may uh, more likely, actually, uh, remember some things that they spiritually did that helped in service, and they use that then to help their service today. They build that. And it's usually in conceptual frame framework, which is structured concepts about whatever the spiritual way is that they're choosing to be in service in this world. It's a great thing. So that's a fascinating idea. Now, how does this all affect reincarnation? Because I'm just dealing, I've only gotten to, so far to the spiritual memory issue. But what about reincarnation? Well, you see, in order uh, to, um, we'll say, be successful at this whole thing of reincarnation, uh, a person needs to have uh, spiritual memory at at least 60% or so of uh, the lifetimes that are relevant to the particular lifetime they're in right now. Now, not every lifetime we have lived this has any relevancy, but some do, especially the later ones. And so, if we remember 60% of the relevant part of the lifetime that is relevant to what we're doing right now, it doesn't have to be relevant to the whole lifetime that we've existed in the present time, but some part that we're involved with interactively right now, in events in time and space, then... 
amazingly, our choices in the future to reincarnate will be much greater, and the success of the incarnation will jump up dramatically. The meaning to our life will even more vastly increase, and our spiritual memory will become significantly improved. All those things happen from what I just described. So this is a real interesting subject because most people ask me, well, what can I do? And I kind of like giving them the answers, you see. And, you know, the other side of this is that we have to look at it from the standpoint that we've got to create ourselves, our little self, into something much greater, which is the soul self, the higher self, some people call it. And that's a shared self between our soul and that being I told you about that helped to create, helped to get the soul going in the first place. And it also helps to, in our reincarnation process. So. Now, the object is not to reincarnate. The object is to be successful enough so each reincarnation becomes less and less controlled by a thing called karma, which is forces. So you want, you want to reduce the forces in your life and not reincarnate because of them, but re- rather reincarnate to create light. And when you do that, effectively, reincarnation starts to fade away, and you're no longer a soul, a uh, human going on a journey from your soul. You are the soul here. Now, I, some people can say, wait a second, that's in contradiction to what you originally said. You said soul can't be here. There's too many forces, and you're going to get hurt, and it's terrible. But you got to remember what I just said was that you reduce the forces through the light you create, the lights around you. And the soul can be here if those forces are negated or diminished tremendously. And the results then are you can be a living soul right here. You create enough of the soul's quantum field around yourself so it incorporates you in the lower dimension. The light from it is what does it. And then the forces are diminished or hopefully eliminated if you're when you jump kingdoms and become a member of the next kingdom, let's say you stay as a human being for a while anyway, you have minimal forces and high levels of enlightenment of your bodies and senses. And the most important thing is your service becomes a great enlightenment to others. And people say, well, we really help to have contact with that person. It helps to enlighten them. Well, that's the good news. Is that this is how the system works. And it is not that complicated to at least understand the basics of it. There's some intricacies about going through into various levels and all that stuff, which, you know, I don't know that we're going to cover very much of that tonight, but the point is that those intricacies aren't really what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to explain what spiritual memory and reincarnation can do for us in understanding it. And why it's so important for us to learn it this way instead of even the way that it's in uh, the textbook I wrote or even articles I've written on, because those ways are more academic. This is a more practical way, I think, to understand this, and one that many people, I think, will respond to more positively. The reason being, when you tell somebody, well, if you spiritually discipline yourself, you only have so uh, so many forceful incarnations from karma, it doesn't mean much to them. They say, well, okay, whatever you say. But if you tell them they're really in charge of it and they're the creator of the effect, oh, well, that's different. 
So I'm really the boss. It's up to me. It's not like somebody's conferring a merit badge on me. Right. That's the point. This is our journey to create as we choose, not someone else's, even God. So it's a fascinating idea that the process that we're in is what we choose to do on a moment-to-moment basis. And literally every day makes a difference. Uh, a few days of enlightened functioning can literally change the entire lifetime of a person. I mean, the personal lifetime, yeah, from from the physical to the astral to the lower mental, can be significantly changed by, by a relatively short period of time of really intense spiritual interaction. So, I don't want you to think you have to spend uh, almost all of your life to even budge a little bit. There is literally no stop sign. There's no speed on spiritual development. You can go faster. You can do so much more than you might think you're capable of. And as you do more, you become more capable of doing more. So it's sort of like a um, an exponential thing that really has uh, an almost uh, super effect on the way people exist. Not everybody partakes of it because of fears. The first is the fear of death, which is like the fear of all fears, and you got to get over that. But if you're listening to, to tonight's show, you must have some idea that there's, there's another life coming around. So. But you may worry about it because would that life really mean anything if you didn't have any spiritual memory? So let's talk about that, because that is a kind of big idea. So I've heard this question posed to me numerous times. Well, what's the difference? You say we're immortal, we're going, our soul's going to live forever, but every lifetime, we don't remember the last, or at least most of it, if any. And so what's the big deal? It's only like we're only living this one life anyway. Well, the big deal is that that's a true state. It's only true for those who choose to make it true for themselves for a while. Eventually, everybody will come around, even the most evil people, of course, they may take a million years or so, but eventually, everybody comes around to understanding this idea that I'm talking about tonight, a spiritual memory and incarnation. They start to get it, and then they realize, wait a second, I'm in control of what I do and don't remember from my last lifetimes, and it's because I haven't created 60% of a lifetime of light that I don't remember automatically. But if I start creating 60% of enlightened interaction now, the things that I didn't remember from my prior lifetimes will start popping in, and I'll be able to connect them and fill in the blanks from this lifetime. What happens is you don't have 60% from, let's say, your last lifetime. Maybe you got 5%. Well, I ain't going to do any good, you know, you say, oh, 5%. Well, 5% actually is a pretty good number for a lot of folks, but let's say you got 5%, all right? Well, if you just bump along at around 5 to 10% in this lifetime, you're not going to notice much difference, right? You're not going to get the 5% you got from your last lifetime because you needed to have 60% to have continuity of consciousness. Except, if you start 
observing at the rate of 60% in this lifetime. Or for some people, it's a little less. Some people, it starts, it starts for some people around 50, 50%. And there's, a, there's a mathematical formula for it, which I'm not going to go into. It'll be boring. But the, the thing is that regardless, you start serving at a much higher rate in a relatively short time. And you know what happens? The 5% becomes available. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so does a lot of other 5% from various lifetimes that are relevant to the spiritual creations in this lifetime in the events that you're involved and with the interactions of people and things that you're doing. That's how it works. Now, and I know some people say, why didn't you ever tell us that before? Oh, it's always been, you know, 60%. I did. I didn't explain it, but I I gave that. I said, well, there's more to it than I'm explaining, and it's a little more complicated than I'm explaining by making it simple. Because people didn't have, I thought, the ability to understand it. Okay, so let's try to get it down again, because this is a little more complicated. So let's say, let's use an example. Let's say for the next two years, okay, of your life, you're going to really... Do everything you can to improve your spiritual consciousness. And in so doing, you're probably going to need to do this in co-service with others because this is where the big jumps happen these days. And so that really helps a lot, by the way. And in the co-service you're doing with others, um, you push yourself beyond your capability, literally. Well, the good news is that even when you come close to reaching your capability, uh, a lot of uh, the little pieces that never made it into the continuity range of consciousness now start joining together because you're using uh, something similar in context and relevancy in the concepts that you're doing today to some prior life. It could be even a hundred lifetimes ago that's been becoming. And as you're trying to use your conceptual mind, the concepts from the prior life are there. There's only they're only a five percent complete. They're not you know, they're not as cool as you like them to be, but there they are, and they come flooding in. And then I'm going to tell you another little secret. There's a matching component. You know, some of these charities where if you give so much money, somebody matches the amount of money. Kind of thing. There's a matching component from the solar angel. The solar angel is permitted to match the amount of spiritual concept you're drawing from memory that was not continuous in consciousness. It can match it up to the amount that you're using. So the five percent, another five percent, could be added by the solar angel. Now, why is that possible? It has to do with field analysis, quantum field theory analysis. That when you start interacting uh, and you're giving it to others, you're not just living your life anymore or even the life of your soul. You're starting to live the lives of others. And the solar angel is connected to others through their solar angel. So it can, it can kick in up to the amount that you're retrieving from prior lifetimes. And depending upon a number of other factors, it has to do with the karma that's crystallized in your permanent you know, 
in the middle time, it could even add some additional concept or concepts um, from what you come up with creatively at that moment yourself. And it all has to do with the fact that the quantum fields are merging between the solar angel and the other solar angels it's in contact with. So you can, this is fair game. It's allowed. It's permitted. It doesn't break the principles of karma. It doesn't uh, hurt or damage the uh, permanent animals like genes, spiritual genes. And it isn't a cheat. It's not a cheat. It's a completely uh, allowed uh, spectrum of process. And so let me put it in practical terms what this is like, although we'll talk about this after the break, but it's uh, an example is um, you're thinking about some great grand plan you have for improving feeding hungry people in the world. And you've had some thoughts about this in prior lifetimes, but they weren't very virtuously created and you didn't do much with them. That's usually the bad news. You didn't do much with them. You didn't do much. And you were at a 5% or 10% level. And now you're doing it, but you're actually committing to it. You say, well, here's all the resources I have, all the money, all the things I've got. Here's all the people I know. I'm going to get together. I'm going to try to work with everybody else who's trying to do this and see if we can reduce the level of starvation and make people more nutritionally uh, healthy and that sort of and so you're, you're, you're concerned about doing that, and especially with people who are going to do the same for others. Not just do we get to give them something, but you're looking for people who are deserving for for the sake of their own spiritual self, and you're going to give to them. Well, the amount that you're giving to them for their spiritual self is the amount you're going to be assisted by your solar angel in both the past thought in concepts and in new creative things you come up with right now. They're the same thing, because it's a matching effect related to the quantum field now matching together. You are doing something that is making you a part of the solar angel's own existence. You're becoming what is known as a higher self. And in that process, in that process, the solar angel can respond to the same level that you're doing it to the people that you're serving. Remember, you're not giving food to people. You're giving people the opportunity for themselves to be giving food, to, for, to further give food to still others who are going to do the same thing. It's a growing thing. It's a continuous development of soul consciousness. And it is based on consciousness, not on things. So it isn't based on saying, well, I'll just give them a lot of food and that'll do it. That'll be superconscious of my soul angel. That won't do anything. That may ruin people's lives, actually. Because sometimes giving unwisely can be very destructive. I mean, you can give food to people who are going to get stronger and then go and conquer everybody else and enslave them or something, you know, like Nigeria right now. I mean, that would be crazy. We wouldn't want to do that. And that's why that would be unwise giving. But this the wise giving connected with being a soul, where you unify the structure of the mental world to the point where the concepts all support each other. There's nothing contradictory to the given. Yeah, that makes sense, right? That's the whole purpose of this matching of the solar angel stuff. And it really helps. Also, the soul, if it's very well developed in its last hundred lifetimes,
this is an amazing thing. And some people, when they do this, then they experience the following effect. They're starting, trying to figure out how to give to others that are going to do the same, and they don't know how to find those others, and they don't know how to qualify them, etc. And all of a sudden, they're helped out by none other than the solar angel. The solar angel says, oh, I know how to do it. Let me give you the concept. The concept is these three things that you've got to come up with, and then you're going to have to restructure those things in, into platforms so you can apply them. And we all have had these experiences where if we are doing this sort of work, I should say we all, but many people have, where it just comes to us, this amazing thought. Well, it's not just coming. You're earthing it. You're creating it. And in a co-creation, you're also receiving it. That's how the higher mental mind works. It's a joined, joint effort. And it does remain. All things that are spiritual at their level remain at that level. When they become fully enlightened, they remain forever. But their life expectancy is only as long as what is known as the construction of truth exists. Truth can last for a minute, an hour, a day, a century, a millennium, but it doesn't last for Because a better, stronger, bigger truth is developed from a greater material concept. And that's how the mental world works. That's how it functions. It's most interesting. Well, I, we're, for this first segment, we're going to run out of time. I'm going to do a, a commercial uh, in the middle of the next segment later on for some people I met that I think are uh, helpful in that for people in this area of the world that I live in, it might be helpful to shop at their place. Uh, this is not something I would even think for. I'm just doing it because I think they, they got a good business store. But we'll talk about that later, and uh, we'll be back in, give or take, about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning, 
This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, we're talking about spiritual memory and reincarnation. And uh, hopefully the first part of the show has been interesting, because uh, I'm, it's kind of like new information. And I like doing new, new stuff, you know. That's the whole purpose of where we're coming from, is to get stuff out there that's kind of on the edge. Okay, so... Um, when we stopped, I gave the idea that the the reward for spiritual service is the greater capability of doing phenomenally more of it, and the uh, sub reward is that the more that we enlighten others, enlightens ourselves, and also makes us more unified with all events in time and space and all interactions with all events in time and space, which include people and other beings and other life. And that leads to an increased, vastly increased meaning to our lives. So in order to make our lives meaningful, we have to increase the things I just said, and that is the basis of a good deal of what I try to teach people, because regardless of how abstract it may sound to talk about enlightenment, etc., meaning to life, that's not so abstract. That's like a big deal for a lot of folks. Now, some people say, well, I have all the meaning I want in my life. Hey, I can't tell you for sure that everything I'm going to be talking about is going to be relevant to everybody who is tuned in. But it will probably be relevant to almost all people at some level. And that's the best I can do. I can't can't guarantee that everything's going to be all that. That's make my day. You know, it might it might be the big ticket, but it may be just a little thing that will give you a little bump. Tonight's show, I'm hoping, will be more than that for most. But we'll see. All right. So let me go a bit further with this concept. When we look at spiritual memory, uh, it is not something that is um, is tangible to us as humans. Most people don't know that. They think, oh, spiritual memory must mean that if I read this book, or I go to this class or group, or if I... If I pray a lot, um, then I'm going to be, I'm going to have 
spiritual memory. And I will not forget this life. And that isn't how it works. Spiritual memory is created in the soul, and its ability ability to last lasts as long as there is truth that is created from the light that was originally built into that memory. And if the truth reaches the highest level of the mental world, which is what is known as, we'll call it the atomic level, but the fully enlightened state, where every part of it is enlightened, it becomes something greater than truth itself. And it is um, be- the beginning of the creation of what is called beauty, and it is a larger kind of virtue. Now, the, the important thing to realize here is that you don't really have to know what I'm saying for it to happen anyway, but the recognition of it may be of some assistance to people who are really involved in this heavily, because they may notice some things that the rest of us don't notice at a particular time. And that is that when they're really working on spiritual memory, or with it, I should say, and they're creating huge amounts of enlightenment for us, there's all kinds of unusual things that change that they don't seem to, you know, like, I wasn't even trying to do that, and it happened. How did that work? And that's almost always related to going beyond the truth of time and beyond the level of the original concepts that were designed into the truth. Now, those, those original concepts might be just fine for the time, but they just don't uh, last indefinitely. They're, they're good for a while. But you can take them to even higher and higher and higher levels especially since you're getting a bump. You're getting extra by the solar angel and some people's souls are giving it. So that the concepts take a leap almost beyond where the person ever thought in the first place. And they suddenly said, I don't even know where that came from. It's just there. And their concepts are at such a high level that they can barely explain them themselves. And beyond that, they're really starting to see something bigger than the truth, but more of a beauty. Beauty is a balance of the spiritual uh, memory with the uh, rest of where the soul exists, in a sense. And when the spiritual memory is twice as great as the, the sense of the soul, uh, then you start developing beauty. And this actually takes place before you get to the Buddhic world. It happens in a, thing, in a state called uncontrolled intuition. And it's a fantastic thing to talk about because what, what really happens is the following. The, the soul, our soul, is uh, in the second sub-world of the higher world, higher level. And it's a very high place. I don't want you to think, well, oh, well, it's not too good second, not the first. No, but it's still a very high place, um, and its concepts are great. The soul's concepts are great, but there's a 
in the first subworld that the soul only can reach with the help of its human incarnates being more creative. And creating its field with the help of the solar angel into the solar angel's field, actually. And so the amazing thing that starts to take place in this process is a person, instead of thinking using structured concepts, which is what the soul uses, starts using bits and pieces of intuition. Intuition is where you think with twice as much spiritual thought as there is in the senses of the body that you're thinking from. For in, in this example, I'm using the soul's body. The soul's body is on the second subplane, specifically, you know, the fourth sub-subplane or the second subplane. And amazingly, you can start creating concepts from the first tier, the first subplane of concepts beyond now the sense of the soul, beyond its sense, and now into a higher realm that is like where the solar angel thinks from, some of it, all the way to the atomic level where it's fully enlightened concepts you're dealing with. But they stop being concepts. They become something different. They become intuitional thinking. Now, what's an intuitional thought? Intuitional thought takes as many concepts are needed to fully understand fully understand the um, the spirit and form interactions of anything, anything in the world, and anything in the world eventually, and then beyond things, it goes into uh, ex- experiences that don't have to do with things. But we'll say we start. It starts with things, and then you are able to amazingly think in thousands of concepts at a time. Now, to begin with, this doesn't happen. Like, well, I'm going to sit down and have some intuitional thought and so facto automatically in one minute have 100,000 concepts come together and all this great new thing. Yeah, unfortunately, that isn't what happens in the mental world. Instead, what happens is it happens for a second or two. A person has an uncontrolled intuitional thought that they have to ponder usually sometimes for sometimes for hours or days to figure out what the heck it all means because it's beyond their present level of sense. Their mental senses just won't reach that high. So they've got to kind of piece it apart, take it apart and put it back together to see what, what it all means. That's, into, that's uncontrolled intuitional thought. People have that happen a number of times, but I mean, that's been like in a lifetime. And uh, it happens uh, the least amount of the time while they're physically alive and the most amount of time while they're lower mentally alive. But still, it does happen to some people sometimes. And it's a wonderful thing for the standpoint that it's preparing us for the time when the soul itself will be liberated from the second subplane in the middle world and it will exist in the Buddhic world or in the intuitional plane and there will have complete controlled intuition. Wow. Now that's pretty cool. And even before it does do that, it actually can have complete controlled intuition by just using the thought, its thought 
connected to the field of the solar angel in the Buddha world. But you have to connect to that part of the solar angel, not the solar angel that just is in the middle. That, that only gives you uncontrolled intuition. You have to connect to the, to the solar angel in its buddhic body. It has three bodies. It has a very high middle body. It has a full buddhic body. And it has a atmic, or uh, we'll call it the uh, plane of what people usually say, nirvana, uh, where it becomes all-powerful in its ability to be creative. But it has three bodies. And a human can reach into the Buddhist body, usually uh, no higher than the, the fifth sub-subplane, but now we're discovering that some humans might be able to sometime reach the fourth fourth subplate, excuse me, I said subplate, I mean subplate of the Buddhic world. And that's fun. That's that's an even higher level of creation of beauty, which beauty is just having twice as much spiritual thought as there is sense. But it's a relative thing. The more sense you have, the more thought you have. So, apparently, humans can go higher than they normally could because it's a relative level. And you can go higher the senses are in a state where you can make that possible. Remember, it has to be two to one in comparison to the sense. Technically speaking, if your senses are not quite as high as a liberated soul, there might be times when you can get to the fifth boot, uh, to the fourth boot at some point, and actually think of it. Controlled intuition being the method. Now, is this a good thing? Well, it is a good thing. It actually has some very we'll call it, uh, important uh, improvements in the way a person can serve. Every step that you can think at a higher level from, the more you can teach, the more you can create, the more you can serve others. And that's what the ballpark is all about. The ballgame is all about. You want to be able to do that. That's how you, that's how you move ahead. But moving ahead is on a personal level. Okay, so... Now we're starting to see some really interesting things because spiritual memory and reincarnation are now all interconnected with the higher mental world and with concepts and with the solar angel and with all the way into the buddhic part of the solar angel. Wow, that's big. And remember, you can work through the solar angel in these higher realms even though your soul is still in the mental world, which is great news because without that, we'd be kind of stuck It'd be very hard to get off the mental world, out of the mental world if you didn't have this bridge. And as a matter of fact, the bridge is actually, there's a name for it. It's called the Antikalana. It's a rainbow bridge of, of light moving from parts of the soul and the person, the human, and into the solar angel. All these things are going on interconnectively, leading, and, and the, the light is thought, but thought at the speed of various parts of light. And the subparts of light that are structured uh, are all the spiritual memory parts and all the spiritual thought parts connected together into this triangle of light, moving from, again, solar angel to the soul to the personality and, and human in its lower self, back to the higher self of the solar angel, and eventually, in a few people, 
it can eventually lead to a part of the solar angel in the buddhic world. Whoa, what's that? Yeah, you can eventually have contact with the solar angel's part of buddhic thinking. And that's a whole other deal. That's a big deal. So this goes on, and it's an amazing part of our development. It's an amazing part of how we become something much greater. Now, being greater doesn't mean that it's some kind of, like, badge that we can wear, you know. It's, again, it's about service to others. It's about how we can make ourselves so much, we'll say, more available and helpful to co-creation with our Creator. That's what we really came for. And it's a wonderful thing because it makes our life so rich, makes our life so much more in meaning. Just absolutely incredible. All right. So let's talk about some of the um, the nuts and bolts about uh, reincarnation. The purpose of reincarnation is to be able to develop the lower parts of the universe. That includes the mental, astral, and physical dimensions. The problem with developing these parts is that there has to still be freedom for life to create itself and then to choose or not choose to co-create with God when it can choose, can make, when it is capable of making that choice. Humans are the first kind of life that can make that choice, so we're very special because of that. But uh, a lower life is not able to make the choice, but at least it is growing, some parts of God, in a much slower and more, we'll say, regimented way due to forces. Humans try to get out of forces, I believe, at the beginning of their development, they may create more than any animal ever could. And they, um, they're trying to overcome this problem of forces so they can co-create as a soul here. And this is the operation, this is the method that uh, has been created by God and by all beings, uh, let's say, uh, as a part of co-creating with God to create this system the system is remarkable uh, because when you fully grasp what, how it works, it does so many things so wonderfully well. Uh, now, I know some people are going to say, yeah, Earth is, that doesn't look like it's doing it all that well. Well, Earth is a, uh, a grand test of this very proposition. It's the most extreme that I am aware of, and it may be one of the most extreme in all of the universe. This universe. And so it is, a, it is a big deal to be here on Earth because you're challenging the very uh, method that is used in the world. The challenge is to see if it could be done more quickly using a system of a few leading the many trying to overcome the forces first in their lives and then bring the many uh, up to speed uh, by helping them as a hand up, so to speak. Sounds like a good idea. Uh, it just is dangerous because you're depending upon so few to gain so much for of so many 
who are usually not that cooperative. <laughs> Sometimes they're the opposite. And so, uh, and when they're the opposite, they're evil. And they uh, tend to try to destroy the system that was created by uh, all the great beings greater than so we're in a test. This is like the laboratory of laboratories of extreme suffering for some. And the, the test is to see how far you can accelerate and overcome evil and destroy evil itself while expanding co-creation of God, making it more meaningful for all people on Earth to, for, for living here. Because we have relatively meaningless lives for a long period of time. And if you look at what is recorded in history, it's been an abysmal time for most people. Just think about the average person's life. It's horrible if you averaged it out. Overall, the lifetimes, if we if you use our history of what we know of Earth, things we don't know, but still, it's a, it's a terrible place. One of the most hideous places to live because the forces are enormous. Okay, but this system is designed to lessen the forces, provided that some people become spiritually disciplined enough to um, be able to advance themselves in spiritual memory and uh, change their reincarnations into more meaningful and spiritual ones. That's the idea. So the idea of this whole thing is that some, actually a very few of the people on Earth, will do this. And the reminder will be, hopefully over time, assisted in doing something like it. Maybe not as challenging, but still something like it. And the object is to save the lost time by going the other way, which is to try to allow the whole number of people in the world to gradually grow, which tends to actually reduce evil in a total amount, and to uh, it, it grows uh, life better, but the life that it grows is not nearly as conscious within the same period of time. Now that's a bad deal, because uh, there are some parts of evil that are, that are developing it to the point we are, it's attacking uh, humans at more very vulnerable stages of mental development. Not when they're developing their physical or astral cells, but when they're developing mostly their mental, uh, evil is uh, developing itself into a more potent destruction of humanity. And if it can destroy humanity, it destroys the planet that is creating life. And that's a bad thing. No, we can't all leave and save Earth. Because if we all leave, humans are necessary to find God. God will never be found by by the orangutans or by elephants or dolphins or, or bees or flowers. God's just not going to be found. It takes the human soul using human incarnates to achieve that. And you can't find God unless you're co-creating with God. 
you can slightly understand God without kokunu, but the true finding of God requires some levels of co-creation. And that's very difficult. And no, your hamster is not going to be able to do that. Even though they're very cute, and they might have some kind of life, the hamsters just are not going to take over the world. If we leave, it doesn't save the world. It destroys if we destroy ourselves but nothing else, the world still shines. And if we destroy ourselves with the world, it doesn't make any difference than if we destroy ourselves and not the rest of the world. The same results will happen. With that understanding, we now go back to this question of reincarnation and it starts making a little more sense because it isn't a punishment of humanity. It's meant try to save humanity so humanity can save the world. Are you following me? Because I hope this is important because it, it doesn't, there's so much misnomer about what reincarnation is about. It, it gets mixed up with karma, which is important and is a major part of, karma is a major part of reincarnation, but, but it isn't punishment. It's about having the effects and the causes brought together fast enough so that the world gets saved before it's destroyed. And the reason the karma exists, effects are separated from causes, is because of illusion, human selfishness mostly. And this human selfishness is what produces the forces and um, it destroys the time model so that you don't have enough time. And life dies when there isn't sufficient time to create enough light in the world. And the life itself is faced with the forces not only of humans, but that it itself produces lower life, producing a lot of forces. And those forces eventually undo, overcome evolution. If evolution is taken to its full term, without human intervention, everything dies. Everything. By, the question is why, and the answer is by survival of the fittest. Eventually, there's only one fittest, and that fittest can't live without other life, and the symbiosis of what we call life right now is a slight pattern in the balancing of some forces between some life forms but eventually all life forms end up dying out. And at the end, you end up with less and less life, and finally, no life. I know that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but if you don't understand evolution, and you think about it as it's usually presented, which is wrong, uh, then you get lost. But if you look at it from some other uh, presentations. There's been a few programs on evolution that have shown that eventually uh, life will end on evolution. It won't continue unless you have humans. Humans, correct, because because we don't live by evolution. We live by creation with our creator. And since we're co-creating with God, we there is no death. The idea about death is that 
uh, reincarnation seems to implicate that possibility by it seeming like, well, we're on this endless wheel, we're not perfect, so every lifetime we've got more karma, how do we ever stop it? But the answer is we grow, and we grow beyond the forces that the present karma has, and grows, we grow beyond all the forces that will be in our existence, and then we advance to the next kingdom where there is no need to reincarnate. We can live in all the worlds of time and space that we have to go through, and we're not destroyed by them because we're so creative. We are. We can create beyond the forces that uh, exist from being, we'll say, lacking in consciousness, which is what our problem is. Our lack in consciousness causes us to, quote-unquote, make numerous mistakes. But a mistake is really the separation of time and space, and it leads to forces. And if we overcome those things, that's a wonderful thing. That's a great way of looking at it. I'm going to do a little spray here. Got to watch that voice. Got to keep it going. Um, I'm hearing that towards the end of each segment, I'm actually losing my voice, which doesn't surprise me because I'm talking a lot. And I'm talking a lot these days more than just on the show, so that causes some additional strain I'm trying to get this thing done. Why don't we take a little bit of a break here? I just wanted to tell you, I um, there was a need for some people, not myself, but for some people I know, to get uh, new mattresses. It sounds like a no big deal, except when you go out and shop for them. There's all kinds of problems with getting a mattress. First of all, you go lay on them. And one of the tricky things in the mattress business is they have like a hundred different varieties of what they call the same mattress, or dozen, it depends on the manufacturer. And some of them aren't the same as what you may be laying on. So you lay on it and says, oh, this feels pretty good. And then they deliver something else, and lo and behold, it's called bait and switch. You don't get what you thought you were going to get. This has happened numerous times to people I know and myself. Well, if that has happened to you, you do have probably some recourse, like sending back the mattress and you know whatever. But that's not my point. If you want to avoid that, <laughs> I know a place, if you live anywhere in the Phoenix area, now this is not for our folks living over in other countries, but you might find some place like this there, especially if you have a capitalist system, there might be such a place. This place is called the Mattress Factory, Inc. And um, the guy who owns it is a really interesting guy. His name's Jim McShane. And uh, he makes he makes beds himself. He is the manufacturer. You go into, quote-unquote, his showroom, but in back of his showroom is the place where he makes your mattress. And you can stay there and watch him make it if you want. I know that sounds a little bit fun. And uh, to make sure they make it exactly the way you want it to be made, right? And um, they they make all kinds of beds, all kinds. Of beds. They use all kinds of different technologies, the latex, the memory foam, inner spring, and all those other stuff. And they even make custom signed beds, which is unusual. And the, the thing that's most uh, incredible is when the bed you lean on is 
going to be identical to the bag you're getting because you can make sure they make it the same way with the same materials because you're going to be there. And they will make it within an hour or two of the time that you buy it in many circumstances. Isn't that fascinating? And so you get what you pay for. And you get what you tested. And isn't that cool? And in some cases, uh, if you lay on one of the beds that's one of the demo kind of ones, you can just take that home because you'll make a new one and put it in place of it. So you've got that choice, too. I like that a lot. Um, He's located in the Phoenix area. Now, uh, he's got a a great gal, I forgot her name, but anyway, she works with him. She's been there for like 20 years. And he's been in the business like most of his uh, most of his adult life, and um, he's a great guy, and he seems to be really honest in the way he does business. Uh, now, here's the fantastic news about this. Uh, not only does it already sound like a good deal, right, but he sells these beds for anywhere from a third to a half of the same price of quote-unquote, a comparable one as long as you don't get bait-and-switched into something that's much less bad from any place else. I'm not kidding. The prices are phenomenally low. <laughs> so that's the other good news about his beds. He sells beds that literally are like 1000 to $1,500 beds, and you can get them, the whole thing, mattress and, and you know, box spring or whatever it is, uh, for like 500 bucks. And it's that it's the equivalent of what you would go if you went to someplace else, because I've been to those other places. I've also been ripped off a couple of times. So so there you go. And uh, so the prices are really affordable. I mean, like really, really affordable. And that's the thing that's just amazing. I mean, even if he was charging the same price, it would be worth it to know you're not going to get bait and switched, and you can watch your bed being made. You know that's really the bed you're going to get. But the price is so much lower, it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, he's available, again, he only has one store. It's in Phoenix. It's 2949 West Catalina Drive in Phoenix. And um, he's, got a, um, he's got a website. I don't even know. It's I, Here it is. It's Mattress... Factory Inc. It's all one word, mattressfactoryinc.com. I'm not sure the website does it justice, but it's okay. You can go there and check it out. Um, and he's in Phoenix, and his phone number, if you're in the Phoenix area, is 602-272-9871. 602-272-9871. I thought it would be worthwhile to tell you about that, because when I see someone doing something that's really helpful for other people, and it's a way that they make a living, but it's a way that other people are benefited from it, I like to give them a little credit. And like I said, we've gotten more than one bet, and so far, they're great, fantastic. He's got a whole bunch of different ones you can try, and if you really, really, really press for money, he's got some low-budget ones that are still way better than the cheaper beds that you can buy, uh, say, in the most cheapest of places. And what I'm saying is for like a hundred bucks you can get a probably a decent bed that would be relatively small like a twin. But it isn't it's good enough to probably have a decent night's sleep on. So if you have very little money, you could still uh go there and uh find something. 
And if you have a real lot of money, you can get the most expensive bed he sells, and you're still walking out with a bed that didn't cost you an arm and a leg, which is absolutely amazing. Oh, last thing I want to mention, uh, he has a 20-year warranty, but it is prorated after the third year, but it's still better than most people's warranty. So uh, that's another thing. Uh, he believes in his product. Because otherwise, you can bring back the bed and he would make much money, right? If it breaks, if there's something wrong. Okay, so let's go back to our, to our discussion tonight about spiritual memory and reincarnation. How in the heck is it that people have gotten so messed up about reincarnation? I think, and it's my opinion now, that there has been an absolute uh, diabolical plan hatched ever since about 325 A.D., uh, when Constantine decided not, along with his council, decided to throw out the concept of reincarnation. Uh, the Gnostics were a group of people, that's the people who knew about ancient wisdom and applied it to Catholicism. Um, they, their, their teachings were thrown out. And in their teachings, along with some of the passages of the Testaments of uh, people about Jesus, um, were also thrown out if they mentioned reincarnation, or if there was an insinuation that you came back. And they separate. They separated us and our souls from uh, existence by doing that, because there's a disconnect then. And he meant that we only had one lifetime to a lot of people, and that just is goofy. It's, it doesn't make sense that when most people die, I mean, this is it. They either go to heaven or hell because of what they did in the physical world in a very short period of time. It would make God a, a kind of very small being to look at life in such a narrow and almost meaningless uh, approach to what life is about. But the reason they got rid of reincarnation is if you're going to come back, then the importance of this physical life becomes significant or less. And the importance, even more importantly, I guess, the importance of what the Church tells you to do becomes um, more important because it, it's an all-or-nothing game, virtually. And it's all about this one life. That gives them the right to sell indulgences and do all kinds of other stuff that they did later on. But... For the time, in 325, it gave enormous power to the head of the church, who there was like a kind of head, a bishop, a pope kind of person, but it really was the emperor who was Constantine. And Constantine, of course, then developed a city called Constantinople, which is where uh, the majority of the emphasis of the development of the Catholic Church took place. Most people think it was in Rome. The earliest parts were, but by 300 AD, that was no longer the case. Constantinople, and in another 150 years or so, Rome virtually ceased to exist. After 450 AD, 475 AD, there wasn't much of Rome uh, that had anything to do with uh, the Roman Empire. And it was taken over by the Vandals and the Goths and all the 
you know, a whole bunch of different groups came in and just took it over. And with by 525 A.D., um, that area of the world, which we call Europe, was basically in the Dark Ages, the beginning of the Dark Ages. So really, this is a, a, a interesting thing to, to consider, is that the reason reincarnation got a bad name is <laughs> because the truth about it was distorted and made into a silly kind of idea that was easy to defeat. And the, the silly idea is, why would you want to come back? What's, how does that benefit anybody to keep coming back to this terrible world? Well, the world's terrible because the people who come in and create it are terrible. But sending them off to some kind of purgatory, hell or heaven, depending upon, I don't know what the cards say for them, um, doesn't make much sense either. Because most people obviously aren't ready for uh, indefinite life in heaven because they believe in something and because they got certain uh, deals made with the church that they went to and because God just said, well, all your sins are gone. Don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about anything. You're not here because of your sins. You're here to create good. That's where the confusion is. So reincarnation becomes a, a thing of bad. It, it is the idea that life is about getting over your sins. Well, life is what you choose to create. And you go through hundreds and hundreds of these lifetimes. And your creations get more and more enlightened. And even when you leave the physical world, you get another shot which they don't really talk about, which is the astral world. They, most of the time, that's just kind of like heaven or something. I don't know. And the astral world is a, is a lifetime in which the forces are greatly reduced because you're, the energy is greatly less dense. Less dense energy, you got less forces. Less forces... And the other thing is a thing called the quantum constant, which allows fields to be created at greater and greater levels, is much larger. As the quantum constant grows, uh, the ability to create fields grows, and a person becomes enormously more creative, therefore capable of creating in the astral world than they do in the physical. Physical is just forces all over the place that prevent you from being very creative in your life. And then you got Obama. <laughs> He's really going to prevent you from creating. And then other people, other people too. So, I mean, so when you look at it, the physical world is going to be a, a real nightmare for a lot of people. And Putin in Russia, oh my God. And worse than him, I mean, if you go to Iran or some terrible places where people live today, it's horrible. So, the creation issue is very difficult. Not as bad in the astral. And it's even better. Because the quantum content is growing by each subplane you're on in both the astral and the lower mental world. And when you get to the mental world, man, the quantum content is huge. So the ability to create is so much better. And therefore, when we look at the whole structure of reincarnation, if we understand all this stuff, reincarnation is not a punishment. Oh, 
being here in this, this existence for 100 years or so, or a lot of people less than that, right, is not so terrible when you figure you're going to live thousand, at least oh, way over a thousand years probably for, for the next part of your life in the astral and mental world. So what's the big deal? Well, if you don't understand that, it is a big deal because you think that if it's about punishment or reward, and so you live in this constant tightrope of fear, wow, am I going to go to hell or heaven? It's forever. How terrible. I mean, it really doesn't give us much of a chance. And it makes the church all powerful because it's a semi-decider of what's going to happen to you, right? Uh Uh-oh. Better be in good graces with those those guys at the church. <laughs> if they're selling something, you may buy it because, hey, that's what they say. Give them more money and you probably get a better spot on the on the wheel going to heaven. All right, now there's other religions that don't do. And some religions believe in reincarnation, but they've got it confused. Transmigration of souls confused. Well, you could end up being a mouse in your next life. How about a caterpillar? Well, yeah, I mean, the point is that that idea is a mistaken idea that came from and unfortunately has remained in parts of our world um, from the idea that there's group souls that take care of plants and animals and other creatures. And then there's individual souls, which only deal with human beings and beyond. That knowledge was lost, unfortunately, in the earlier parts of these countries and their religions' histories. Why was it lost? I don't. I think there's unique reasons in different locales, but it, it seems again related to the idea that the religion gets a lot more power for the people running the religion, if you get rid of those things. And that's unfortunate. And then you end up with a caste, you know, where, oh, well, you know, you're lower on our caste level, so you're stuck being this way in this life. So everything is predetermined. Predetermination is is an evil. And in its long history, has done more harm by far than good. But most religions believe in predetermination, particularly when they're faith-based. And that creates a lot of problems. It makes it almost impossible to really understand what reincarnation is about. It just blocks the logic part of us from figuring it out. Because we accept. Some people accept what their religion tells them. That's it. Why do I know it's so? Because the Bible says so. Okay, whatever Bible you read. That's where the problems have arisen. And correcting them is a long-term issue. Teaching angels' wisdom, which is what I'm doing, which is not a religion, but at least it it explains the cosmology, the ontology of the universe. Um, It corrects this because religions that incorporate more of these ideas are more palatable. They make more sense. And you can use them in a more meaningful way. Well, that's a good thing. I'll buy that. 
you know, to me, this is the this is the practical side of what we're talking about tonight. Is to try to apply this to our lives so that we get off of this craziness that is contaminated throughout the world, not just here in the West, it's everywhere. It has, there's so many different ideas that are wrong about reincarnation. It, 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 it's almost better not to believe in, in it at all than to believe some of the confusing nonsense things that have been have been postulated or have been edicted as part of a religion. It, it, it leads people into a terrible um, waste of life, particularly if you're into the caste you're into the idea, the crazy idea, that you may come back as a, you know, as a, as a moth or something. I mean, the whole thing is like goofy. It, it, when you start thinking about it, it just doesn't make sense. But people who believe in things don't need for them to make sense. They need for it to comfort them about some fears that they have. I'm not so sure I can explain all the fears that are alleviated by a caste system or by transmigration of souls. But I will tell you this, that most of those elements that are in those ideas have to do with some of the other factors that do comfort people from those same religions. So there, there, it isn't like the idea itself is very good. I mean, but when you tie it together with some of the other things they say, well, I say, well, okay, I'll take that if, if, well, if I can feel better about this and this. And that seems to work okay for some folks. But I still believe that the truth is what really pe- allows people to be free. And truth comes from concepts and the explanation of them. And it has to make sense all the way through without any contradictions in thought forms or examples of the concept. That wouldn't be untenable. And that's why I like Angel's Wisdom, because it is that. That's what it is. It's, it's truth without contradictions. And boy, that's a big deal. And so... And I'm talking about zillions of concepts, not two or three, where you have, you know, where you have a totality of of a few concepts, and people say, "Well, that's the truth," and it's not. A few mistaken concepts support each other, but you can't add fifty or thousand concepts, and it would still hold together. Well, fall apart. You can't put examples in ad infinitum because there'll be multiple examples that will be fallacious that will not. Support. Okay. So, and remember, a concept is structured, structured thought that is not in a form. It's in a, it's in a formula. Formula means it could be applied to form, but it isn't a formula. Like a mathematical uh, formula. And in some cases, some people have converted a lot concepts into mathematics. Particularly scientists tend to like to do that. Alright, so we get back to now then how do we how do we apply this in our lives? So that it's gonna make sense to us. Because after all, um, I gave you some ideas about, you know, improving spiritual memory at the beginning of the show. But what about on a daily basis? I mean what if you just wake up tomorrow and you say, Oh, I heard this guy yesterday 
here's some points to help. The first is part of spiritual memory comes from contemplation and reflection. That's a meditative aspect. You need to think about your own thinking. You need to think about how your thinking and interactions are affecting others and yourself. Are they leading to yourself and others becoming more your soul? That's a big, that's a big thing. And if that's not the point that you're getting out of what you're doing, then you have to ask yourself, well, am I doing the right thing? Now, I'll tell you something. A lot of people don't do that. Now, you can ask yourself, well, how come I don't necessarily do that? How come I don't meditate? Most people don't do that because most of their thought is conflicted and untrue. And people are afraid to find that out because there's some loss in self-esteem, lower self-esteem. And oftentimes, they don't want to make the changes that that kind of thinking would lead them to. So, that's the reason. So, it is your choice, of course. My suggestion is to try and experiment to see if all that's really valid for you. As an example, if you try some meditation and you do it for a month straight, and you do it religiously every day, and you find that it is starting to help in the process of spiritual memory and in thinking in general, the two go hand in hand. You find out your spiritual concepts are developed much more quickly and you're able to understand things that are conceptual on a higher and higher level, then you'd say, well, you know what? This business about about uh, what the guy was talking about on the radio, uh, Niles, whatever his name is, talking on the radio, he was talking about, you know, that more meaning can be gained in life, and you can start getting suddenly a lot more concepts put together because you're going to be helped by them by the solar angel and your soul and all this stuff, it's starting to look like that's true. Test it out. Give it 30 days. Come on. Lots of people do things for more than 30 days, and they don't get anywhere near what I'm saying might be the benefit. So there's a good place to start. What else can you do? Well, what you're doing right now, listen to these shows. If you want to do even more, get, uh, get some of the books. Uh, the book I wrote uh, on the, that's a textbook called uh, Life's in Meaning is a great book because well, it's very hard to read because there's the concepts are huge. But, you know, sometimes just even reading a small part of that book can, can put you on the right track to a whole bigger, we'll call it, experience down the line. See if that helps. And you can also, you can email me, you can call me if you have get stuck on something. I'm available. Believe it or not, it's true. And then in addition to this, let's say you get that part. You start reading this <laughs> this tome, giant book, okay, and it's hard. And you say, well, I don't know. Well, there's another book I wrote called Afterlife Love, which is a lot easier to read in a week for sure depending upon how much time you have, but I think you probably read that much. And, you know, a lot of the things are simplified in there to the point where it might be easier to read 
that book than most other books that you might pick up. And then there's a lot of other great books by many authors that are worthwhile to read about the general principles of metaphysics and uh, agency. They're all over the place. And if you, you know, look at them, you see if it's what you want to read. Some of them are a little goofy and not very accurate. And other ones are pretty accurate, but maybe different. Um, you make your own choices. But all of that information will help to create better, we'll say, more truthful knowledge that you can then use to build your consciousness, which is what we're really talking about. But finally, the last piece of the puzzle in terms of making a test has to do with how you interact with others. You need to look for how you can serve people as souls, not people in a personal way. And and serving them as souls means that you're going to help them to become better people themselves, better servers themselves, and help them to find God born in their co-creation. You're going to bring them into your to your field of creation and see if they can operate in there a little bit. And it doesn't have to be a big part. That's another good way. Or you're going to assist them while they're working in other people's fields. You can consult and help them to better work in those ways. The object here is it's the whole three parts of God that you're putting together, which is really what makes people alive anyway, in a bigger and better way. While you do this activity, you change. Your field changes because you're helping others to change theirs because ultimately we're all co-creating with God. It isn't like your field is completely separate from everyone. It's the opposite. Remember when I explained this in the beginning of the show? Your field is part of your solar angel's field, which is part of all the other souls' fields, and that's how they work. So you're trying to become a soul yourself. It's not a big deal. It's not like, oh, gee, it's so hard to do that. Or it seems like, how could I be a soul? Well, it's actually not as hard as just talking about it. You can do it. And if you tried it for a month, I think you would find that, sure enough, you would start developing more spiritual memory. Now, what would happen? You're going to start remembering some of those concepts spiritual concepts that you created in prior lifetimes, and they're going to be available to you. You may start having memory of events. Now, this is what most people want, for whatever reason. They want events. I want to remember what I did with whom and when. And then I want to know my last name. And what was my telephone number back in those days? Well, they probably didn't have telephones. But I, what, what town did I live in? Now, why do people want that? Because they're too personally involved. That's not spiritual memory. That's personal memory. Now, does it mean you couldn't remember those things? To some extent, yes and no. You might remember any personal memory that became spiritual because you were involved in a certain place with certain people at a certain time that was creating light in the world. As you co-created light with them, 
you would remember the events, the people and the time place and all that other stuff. Remembering a name is pretty hard to do because names usually don't mean much. But if there's some meaning to the name, for some reason, maybe you'll remember it. I can barely remember my name in this life, so I don't remember much about names in any lifetimes. The few lifetimes I remember the names in, I can can't spell them usually, so it's just good. But I mean, what's really important isn't who you were, it's what you were. Were you a soul? And that's probably the part that's so hard to get people to recognize, is we're not talking about spiritual memory of a person like, oh, I was him, or you were her, or you were them. You know, it's like, what? No, it's what did we do together to co-create with God, creating more light in the world. That's the big ticket. And if you did it at a 60% level, you would, would have had it from almost birth. And certainly by seven years old, it starts pouring in. And by um, 14, it's incredible. And by 21, you could be doing work like people do at the end of their life. So those kinds of things do happen, but they're not based upon the personal factors that so many people are looking for as the markers of spiritual memory and proof of their prior incarnations. Some people need to know about their prior incarnations so they can overcome their fear of death because it would mean that some of the other things I tell you about or that others teach about in Angel's Wisdom would be true. So it's sort of like a, a way of proving to themselves. It's just not the best way to do it, though. The best way to prove it to yourself is to create more light and then see what the results are instead of trying to remember, oh, when I was good or bad in this lifetime or when others I knew were or whatever. People also fantasize that they had relationships with people that they may or may not have had but it makes them feel better because, like, oh, gee, now I really know that I knew this person before. How do you know they didn't kill you or something? I mean, it, just because you did know somebody doesn't mean that that turned out all that great. Uh, an amazing array of lifetimes are spent with people doing foolish things to and with other people. So don't think that everybody that you have some, we'll say, sense of memory with, uh, was necessarily the greatest love in your life, the greatest friend, the greatest enemy, the greatest anything, because uh, all that is unlikely to be part of what you're really going to find out. Now, does that mean that you can't know if you did great things with somebody, that they maybe were your best friend or greatest lover or greatest this? But if the things you did together were of amazingly enlightening factors, you will remember all that, yes. But those are the rare exceptions. They are not by any standard. You know, just every other person you bump into, well, hi, we reincarnated back 400 years ago, and I remember when we were doing this stuff. Most of that is fantasy. They really are. I bet people have a desire to have that kind of connection because they feel isolated. Because they feel lonely. Because other people don't necessarily respond to them the way they would like, so they may invent some false memory of a spiritual life. They may. 
can you really have a real life experience like that? Yes, I wrote a whole book about it. That's afterlife love. These people in the book had, had lifetimes of spiritual memory. And some of it started coming back in their 30s, which is what it tends to. For a lot of people, it's after 28 and starts popping in. But it, it, it varies from person to person radically. And you can't use any specific, like, well, it's going to be on this day at this time that you are going to. It doesn't work like that. It's what are you doing now? That will determine. And those three things I've talked about are big deals. They have an amazing effect on whether or not this is going to be an operative factor or not in in their life. And, you know, I'm going to tell you in a few more minutes, I'm going to tell you about the things that are going to come out of uh, some of what I talked about last week with the technology changes. And this is going to create a whole array of changes in the question of spiritual memory and reincarnation. I'm not quite there yet. I need to finish what I'm talking about. But I just want you to know what the last part of the show is going to be about. And this part will will be a bit different than everything I've talked about so far. But let me finish this. Okay. So we've got a situation in which most people could be and should be uh, trying to develop their spiritual memory and recognize that they did reincarnate with people. And some of the people that they're reincarnating with are not necessarily friends from the past or lovers. Some of them were our worst enemies. Now, why in the heck would it be a great idea to reincarnate with your worst enemies? Because to a soul, there is no such thing. All the soul knows and is concerned about is the co-creation with God. If a particular human being had some enemies with some particular other human beings, the souls of those uh, others are not enemies to the soul of us, or to the one individual compared to the other one. So you see, that's that the soul's reality. What do we do about it? Well, if we have um, if we have a lot of negative negative being forces uh, that were part of a relationship in our interactions with someone before. If they and we are equally selfish, the forces between us will be multiplied by several times from the last lifetime. That could lead to some terribly bad outcomes. And it does sometimes. But the other thing to remember is when forces are present, people tend to change. And they may uh, either unilaterally or together decide to change the nature of how they're relating to the other person. If they're following a more spiritual life, they'll try to make some improvement in how they interact. Maybe even serve the other person who might really be terrible towards them. The purpose in that is to challenge us about the idea of having to pursue uh, areas of force rather than areas of life. People pursue these things because of desires, often, and sometimes because they want to have power and control, and sometimes because of their thought process being egotistical and they're wanting to be right, which is another form of control, but 
get into that sort of stuff. You end up with these ridiculous, sometimes, uh, spiritual memories, so to speak, the incarnations where people are enemies to each other and without virtually knowing each other, they hate each other, and there's almost an immediate dislike, we're called. And the way around that is to see them as souls and vice versa, or at least one of them do it, because then it breaks the forces for at least one example. It allows them to become more of an operative soul, even with the most hostile of people. That doesn't mean that you have to be friendly or warm, especially if a person is evil. And you may have to use force against a person who is evil for self and other self-protection. But when you do so, you do so with less animus and more of, we'll say, concern for the soul of the other person. Not for the person itself, but for the soul. If you think the other person has no soul because they have a group soul of evil, that's a little different then your job is to destroy them by usually using enough force to prevent them from doing harm to anyone in this dimension or any other dimension you interact with them. Those are the exceptions. And remember, you have to know darn well that someone's really evil before you get into that. Most people cannot determine evil in others very well. So you need great assistance in knowing if that's really the case or not. I caution everybody about this. But nonetheless, sometimes you will have that memory. And then you need to use the memory to be the most effective in defending and serving other people from people who are destructive. It's not your own self alone that you've got to be concerned about. It's all of them. If someone is evil, they're very rare. They're not, you know, not every other person is evil. If a person, if that's what you think, then you've got the problem. Because it doesn't exist like that. All right, so I hope this is kind of, you know, kind of coming together, so to speak, in a rational way uh, for those of you who, will say, um, have opposing viewpoints. You know, because it's worthwhile looking at this from the standpoint that I'm teaching it, even if you don't believe. If you don't believe in all of the incarnations, okay. But just think about all the things they're saying because they, they they have a lot of value, even if you don't necessarily at this point believe in them. All right, so let, let's uh, just to make sure we're going to have enough time, let me go to this other uh, area. Hold on, let's take a very quick break. Now, this other area is that. In the future, and it's not going to be very far, it's already starting to happen, because I looked up uh, some past lives uh, not uh, too long ago on the Internet of myself. And um, the Internet is helpful, but it's not whole or complete, and it's kind of inaccurate. But the point is that at least it's a resource. And we are going to reach a point where it will be possible through technology, to help people uh, access more of their spiritual memory. 
How, how do I know that? What? You've got some kind of crystal ball. No. I've, I've visited parts about the mental world and the higher astral world where people, they've already got these things. So I'm just reporting. Because what's there is likely at some point to be developed. It's usually ahead of us. And, you know, when you go to the third astral subworld, that's the first place to find these things. They have them elsewhere, too, even in the, all the way to the first astral subworld. And then in the, in the middle world, the lower middle world, there, there, are, there are resources of inventions of sorts that are, have to do with mental science that do some of similar kinds of things. What do they do? Well, the first thing they do is they help people to bring together those pieces that I talked about that the solar angel can magnify and bring together. They help them to bring, bring it together for glimpses in time. When someone is in the mental akasha, as an example, uh, there are inventions and there's also servers who kind of do the same thing, both. Sometimes they use these things that allow people to see all the areas where they were egotistical in a more progressive, looks like one after the other after another kind of event that allows them to interact better for each event to resolve the egotism. So, in other words, as they're working through. Uh, coming to a conclusion about it, and they're not fully conscious when it's happened, you introduce a device that allows them, or a person, that allows them to become more conscious of some element. They can't be fully conscious of themselves, but they can become more conscious of some element of their faulty spiritual memory, because they don't have correct, we don't have a, a full spiritual part of it, a lot of it's egotism and some of it's arrogance, and that's all very dark. But you have a remedy that's produced by a person or machine, a device, we'll call it machine, that would be a good word for it, um, that allows the person in real time, while they're interacting with their past, in the mental conscious, I'll give you an example, uh, to see the alternate statement and alternate, alternate, alternate thought that they could have had. So it's like an immediate playback, but not them playing it, just the device or the person playing it. And when they see this, they go, wait a second. I mean, that's what I could have said, and that's what might have been said back, and this is the way it could have gone instead of the way I've been doing it. They might wake up. Waking up just means they're fully conscious in the Akasha, which most people are not. And if they come to a full consciousness, then that becomes their spiritual member. It's just like they had done that in the first place. I hope I'm making sense here, because this is a little bit beyond our... most people's... most people's ability to, to think... So this is how it's done in the mental world, and it's coming here to someplace near you in the next 10 to 20 years. It's actually going to be operative here, this sort of thing. 
And when it begins, it won't be quite as dramatic as what I just described. And it will be mostly used for common areas of understanding and knowledge that are not spiritual. But it will, in short order, be available for people maybe 10 years later, so maybe like 30 years from now. It may start becoming available for people to develop a more spiritual memory in general and have a better spiritual understanding of themselves in relationship to their interactions with others. We're talking about a kind of virtual reality here, we would call it virtual reality, where the alternatives to interactions that you're having literally on a daily basis, they could be, you could walk around with a device that records all your interactions through the day, the relevant and special ones, are then redone by the by the new device, new machine, that would put in a improved version of consciousness that you get to experience, both in the other person and in seeing yourself as a actor in it, watching yourself do it this better way. Then you're trying to replicate the situation yourself as the next step. Now, this may sound a bit far out. We are not that far away from this happening. And it's already happening in the, in the mental world and in the higher parts of the astral world, from the third astral something up. It is so, so dramatic of a method that some people get really hooked into it and have managed to greatly improve their spiritual memory and their future interactions with people. Meaning their consciousness grows as an exercise in this medium. And in the astral world, it's different than the, the mental world because it is uh, it includes the creative imagination of the person and uh, uh, there's a lot more feeling involved than in the mental world where it really is purely mental. The mental world is better for getting to the truth, but the astral world develops more love in the process at the same time. The astral world may be ten times slower than the mental world, but you do get an extra kicker. You're getting love in it. Here, if, if we get it to this level, our interactions in a physical way, so our coordinated responses to ourselves and others, intelligently or unintelligently, will be greatly improved. Here we'll get three kinds, because we're dealing with three bodies three kinds of effects. And these devices here will actually be able to create virtual realities that we can physically, so to speak, interact with. That means we'll be able to overcome real forces because we'll feel reduced as we improve our consciousness in this world. And really, 30 years is not that far off for here, maybe, for it to take place. Wow. And, um, of course, when people start having these experiences, angels' wisdom will become more reality to them. Now, the hope I have is that this won't be, as sometimes happens, used for evil, and then its good purposes will go out the window, and it could be used for some very terrible way training people to be better terrorists, as an example. But I, I, mean, I, you know, I don't necessarily believe that will happen, but let me just give you an example. And so 
we've got to be careful that we don't convert some of these powerful new ideas and technologies and, and methods of, of teaching into something that will become another dark stain on our existence. And what will help is the teaching of ageless wisdom with us. You don't want to have people just go into and have the experience and not have a clue what, what's going on. Because I don't think that will produce the effects that are needed. I know that in the mental world, people need, well, in the higher astral world, people need a lot of teaching. They need to not just have the experiences, but also have the education. And they need that co-serve with other people who will help them and to teach them during the actual interactions they're having for real so that they can apply these things with others' help and get immediate feedback when they're failing. Because after all, that's what really learning is best accomplished at is at the moment, not in some future time when you can barely remember what really happened, let's not do anything about it. So these, this is coming. This is going to be part of the new world. Now, does that mean that uh, everybody's going to jump into this and say, well, I'm all ready for that, so let's do it now? Now, it's really going to start with spiritual disciples. And there are a small number of people, about 13 million, give or take, right now. And so it's a, it's a small number. And it's going to maybe go to, by then, it might go to 15 or 20 million people. But it's still a small number. And of that number, I would say in the beginning of this whole thing, if let's say it's um, 2045, in the beginning of this, uh, you might only see 10% of the people having an opportunity to even be involved in it. Might. Or it could be a lot more than that, but I'm just saying if it's 10%, that might be one, one and a half million people. Now, what's the advantages if you have that kind of thing in terms of spiritual memory? Well, once you're, it's like practicing becoming. Uh, a co-creator with God. And once you're practicing, you're dealing with real things. By the way. These are real issues. They, most of them are past-related to begin with. You can start working also in future time. You could contemplate circumstances, and your machine interactively could do that, or device, and others that are working with you can help. And the result could be that you deal with so many new ways of improving your near future life. It could be a gigantic step towards making it better for spiritual disciples who right now are failing. Uh, people in their second initiation fail may, way more often than they succeed in each lifetime. This kind of thing could go a long way. And with it, it you need to demystify ages with them completely to use this stuff. So the stuff I'm teaching, which is the demystification of angels, becomes a critical element for this future invention. I just hope there are people around to teach what I'm teaching then, or maybe I'll still be here, I don't know. But we're going to need it because the world will progress towards us whether we like it or not. The capability to do it already exists in the realm. It's coming here. There's almost no way to stop it, even if we wanted to. And I don't really want to stop it. I'm just talking about it in terms of 
what's coming. Now, if people do develop more spiritual memory, does that mean after they use these devices and learn more angels wisdom as I'm teaching it in a demystified way and other stuff, does that mean that they are going to suddenly have a big jump in recognizing people like for the past and all that other stuff? Based upon what I have discovered in the mental world, yeah. That's the surprising thing about it, is actually uh, the the jump becomes also, remember, if you interact more, uh, you get more help from the solar angel. Some of the interaction could be virtual, even, although that's a little hard to imagine because you really have to do something that co-creates with God in virtual, and I'm not so sure that fits, but maybe it does. I, I can tell you in the middle world, because people, when they come out of the Akasha, they almost immediately are interacting, some after a certain point, with others. The interactions with the others has, it is immediate in terms of the benefit. Now, whether the benefit is there if they don't interact, it's hard to say, because people have to reach a certain, almost a, uh, we'll call it a point, a place. It really has to do with how, how quantum fields work, which is that they have a, a certain point and it shifts. And when the shift in the field happens, it's when the consciousness of the field is now creating more and more of the field rather than just being left in some limbo state. And that's how quantum physics works. There's a certain point in the energy and thought transfer model where the person the person's thought gains a certain level of consistent ability to change energy and when it does that there's a jump or leap and it's that's the way quanta quanta work is that you get this sudden jump and it's uh, everything is uh, discreetly uh, packaged better than kind of like a wave, which is sort of just a, it could be anywhere on the wave. It's always discreet. Well, that's true about thought and uh, interaction. And so on a, ma- on a macro scale, you actually can see people get to these points. When they get to the point, they suddenly jump. I would expect the same thing might happen here in the physical world. Uh, may not be quite as noticeable, but I do think it would happen that way because that's what quantum physics says will happen. And so far, it's been correct for a long time. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the quantum constant was created because uh, Max Planck decided, well, I think that I think that everything else is not working, so I believe that instead things being a continual, slow changing from one to the other gradual, there's suddenly a And he made that assumption, he made it in Plank, Plank. Um, depends whether you're a German, I call him Plank, some people call him Plank. Um, he, he made the assumption in desperation. You know, it was like 1899, 1898, 1899, and he couldn't figure this thing out, and finally, one day, he said, okay, I give up. I <laughs> can't find any way to make physics work right, because all the other theories that he was using 
were falling apart when you get to the to the kinds of tests he was doing um, with zero zero point energies and other stuff. And the result turned out that he said, "Okay, I'll try this because there was nothing left to try that would work." And sure enough, as soon as he tried it, it worked. He found out that everything is discrete rather than uh, this kind of slowly moving gradually from one thing to the next. Everything is discrete in its interactions, energy to energy. And then he he didn't know, but later on it was discovered that uh, thought controls the energy. So thought and energy are not discrete either. I mean, are discrete and are not gradual either. So that's the same thing I noticed, in fact, for real, and the use of devices, both in the astral and mental world, that improve this spiritual memory and allows people to interact in ways that are more spiritual suddenly, not just in a gradual way. That's why I say 30 days may be enough time to get you to one of the jumps. And if it causes the jump, you'll go, whoa, what happened? I'm more conscious. It wasn't some gradual little thing, gradually, but all of a sudden, there it is. And that's because of the quantum field. It's a quantum field. It's not a wave field. A wave field is a part of the quantum field, but you have to include both the particle and the forces that are developed between the particle and the wave, and when you include those, you wind up with a quantum field. So, in other words, the gradual thing is, is the illusion of the field, and the real reality of the field is discrete. Wow. That's some of what I'm saying may be too advanced physics for tonight. <laughs> but, it, it, but nonetheless, that's, that's what happened, and that's what actually occurs with this coming technology. And there'll be, there'll be even more advanced stuff if we go another 20, 30, 40 years into the future past, say, 
opposite is true. The machine will be there at our discretion in how best it will work for us, only when we choose and others interacting with us so choose to use it that way. It isn't it doesn't have to be some scary nightmare. It could be an amazingly helpful way of interacting. And uh, the, some of this has gotten that almost that far in, in the astral world. Strangely, it's doing a little better in, in some parts of the astral world than it is in the middle world. Because the middle world has too much egotism still blocking its further development, whereas the astral world, uh, because there's feelings involved, mitigates some of the levels of egotism so people can work between the two different kinds of thought. When one is not doing that well, they can switch to the feeling level and communicate among themselves that way, and that works pretty good. Also, the astral senses communicate feeling at a distance, which is fine. The machines only allow this experimental interaction together, which is very, very helpful. And people can literally create all kinds of scenarios, both in feeling and thought sense in the astral world, or just thought sense in the, in the mental world, that sometimes leads to each feeling what the other feels and interacting at the different levels and even becoming the other person for a while. If you could imagine that. Now, uh, if we could get that far, and say in the latter part of this century, uh, this could lead to new kinds of interpersonal and inter-soul relationships because people will be not just reacting to each other as people, but also as soul here in this world. I know. <laughs> Where did this guy come from? <laughs> this is too far out for anybody to think about. Well, I, I know. I know, but... Again, it's not just based upon my imagination. I have seen a lot of them already operating in other dimensions. So we can't be that far away from it here. Okay? Um, now, what would this mean in terms of getting to the nitty-gritty? Let's say that you are married to husband and wife, but if people are uh, homosexual, I guess it could be husband and husband, wife and wife, or whatever they wish to be. But in either case, you, you could become the experience of the other person, and from that experience, you could experience them as a soul, if that's how they choose to interact with you. And then you can experience the other side of what, um, what the different person is like. And if they are a different sex from you, then you've got another part to to uh, experience. It is way more than the present level of development of a relationship as we know it today. I don't want to romanticize, but I do want it to be seen for what value it may have. Because many people want to have more meaning in life. And part of their meaning comes from family development and, and uh, romantic relationships with other people. This is a boon to that possibility. 
if if you were having, and I don't want this to get too uh, too intimate, so to speak, but if you were having sexual relations and you were using some of the same kind of interactive experience, more than just a virtual reality, not you're experiencing each other, you're doing something that only advanced spiritual disciples can do today. And yet it might become available, at least in part, not fully conscious as it is with spiritual disciples, but at least semi-conscious for people who are not yet so spiritually advanced, giving them something to look forward to and to also strive for, not using the machine or device forever, but as a tool to develop this and to do so because you want to be more of a soul or the machine won't work because it doesn't work at least for what I've seen a lot of people are trying to be their soul so it's an amazing thing because it's self-regulating it actually helps people to be their soul while they're experiencing a level of intimacy in all kinds of areas parenting, to sexual, to intellectual, to uh, serving in infinite numbers of different ways. All of those things that are all, by the way, some form of service, certainly raising children is a way of service. And believe it or not, having an intimate sexual relations is a form of service if you're doing it for the purposes that are soul-related. So, this has a, an incredible potential for our future. Now, I, I know that what I'm saying uh, might someday reach the ears, and uh, of course, here will be uh, on TV, but uh, so where people will maybe even be encouraged to develop it. That's good. <laughs> I, I, I'm not against that. Uh, you know, if this idea seems to, and, and you know ways that, to make it work, fine. I think it's also going to take some better understanding of the physics of quantum fields because a lot of the basis of this is going to be based upon how quantum fields work, and you have to make a machine that is sensitive to and can interact with quantum fields, not just some computer. It's going to have to be a lot more than any computer is. So this is, uh, but we're talking about quite a ways in the future. It could be anyway 30, 60 years into our future. If it's into that time span, and if we don't destroy ourselves first, uh, then it is a, a real possibility that this could be the future of spiritual memory. And then, I'm going to take it one step further. I've only got a few more minutes, but eventually this could lead to reincarnations, starting with young children now, uh, where people start having literally near full memories, especially if they're spiritually disciplining themselves from one life to the next, consistently from one life to the next, starting from early childhood. Even the parents of those children may learn and understand their own children's reincarnation and where they came from, how they're related to each other. Some real strange kinds of things could be found out, such as, well, my kids used to be my parents, or you know, 
anything's possible. Or they might be, might have been my, my, my daughter or son might have been my spouse. You know, you just don't know how that's going to come out. And it will come out sometimes that way. But people will be able to accept it because with these devices, they also get the experience of what the spiritual memory is that is producing these things as well. And how come it is part of the soul's objective? Start learning and understanding the soul from our perspective here and from its perspective where it is. It's not a crazy idea, and it can be done. And remember, we are supposed to develop civilization, which includes all the technology, to do what I'm talking about, to improve our consciousness and improve our our interactions and relationship with each other and all life so that we can enlighten the same and become a co-creator with God. So these things are, that I'm talking about are not some cheating way. I know some people might think that. Oh, well, it's just a cheat. You know, we should just all, we should all spend and do what the ancients did and we'll meditate for 10 lifetimes and figure it out. No, the object is to reduce the time and effort and forces so that we can more quickly uh, create more of life that is enlightened. Not drag it out because that's the way it used to be. Quite the opposite. We want to save time, save the forces, improve the intensity of relationship and the intimacy and the meaning in life. Life's hidden meaning is all contained in all the things that I'm talking about today and have been for some time. It's not about just learning the past. As a matter of fact, I don't consider the past all that greatly enlightening. In most circumstances, the past obscures life because there's been so much darkness back then. Particularly historically, that's true. If you go into prehistory to some parts of the Atlantean period, and we're pretty, pretty enlightened. But they only developed the astral nature of the people. Monastic development with minimum. So, you know, to me, those people weren't the same folks as us, that's for sure. They were us. Most of us were back there at some point. But they weren't like us today. It's like we've grown up. Because we're in a soul field that is changing. And growing. That same soul during the Atlantean period was very young and wasn't anywhere near as developed as we are today. You see, that's what's so wonderful about tonight's show is we aren't talking about us as humans. We're talking about us as our soul. And as soul, we can use any technology, anywhere, hopefully everywhere, to create more of God. It just makes sense to do that. It doesn't make sense to walk at it and say, oh, that's ugly, the technology terrible. Or it may not be terrible, but how does it have anything to do with life? Well, it's, it's, just, it's as neutral as everything else we create. It'll be dark or light, depending upon what we choose to do with it. Not because it innately is evil. Okay, let me just uh, 
sum up tonight's show so that we can kind of put this topic on to rest. Spiritual memory of reincarnation. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got to do one more squirt here. Before I start choking, you would want to hear me choke for a long time. All right, spiritual memory and reincarnation is the means for us to develop a much more meaningful life. It comes from us experiencing our existence as a soul while we're here in this world and the next two worlds that we live as humans. It allows us to finally identify ourselves as that soul. So the reason for tonight's show is to help us do that. And we will get better at it as time goes by, I hope. But one of the things we need to recognize is that in all the time I spoke about this tonight, I never once really said anything about any specific individual as a human experiencing any specific small little thing, which is where the majority of reincarnation presently is unfortunately sold to the public and where most people are looking for to get something out of studying about it or reading about it. So tonight's show is the opposite of the misrepresentations of what reincarnation is held out to the public and what a lot of people think about. We need to see it in a totally different light, the light of our soul and the light of God. It is a it is a plan of action necessary based upon the physics as God created the universe to give us free will and to make sure that we have the opportunity to grow ourselves and to grow all of life as truly individuals. Reincarnation allows us to be individual while we are developing as a group of lifetimes into a soul but without ever interfering with the individual individuality of any particular lifetime. Even the machines I just talked about or devices, they will not interfere with the individuality. They will expand on it if you think about it, if they're used correctly, not for evil or dark purposes. They will provide greater individuality, not less, while the sole nature of us becomes even more developed, which is a group conscious aspect. The two sides are growing faster and faster and through all the parts of tonight's show. And it's a it's an amazing journey in looking at it from this perspective that I've given you. I really hope that this has made the difference that it's made maybe just to me to talk about it. I, I get a kick out of explaining this stuff because I know that this is like the it's like opening up and suddenly there's all the answers. And if you think about it, and I hope you can maybe re-listen to tonight's show, there's a huge number of answers that people have questions about that deal with the subject. And none of those answers, I believe, detract from or destroy the meaning of life as some older, foreign, and improper explanations of the subject have done. Well, yeah, we we have reached that point. <laughs> so, 
where I hope that this has really made the difference that uh, I wanted it to. And yes, I haven't done a show like this before. I know some people are say, well, last time we talked about reincarnation, you left out half of this stuff. I, I did because that's where I you know, was and where I am. And they were ready for it. And hopefully the world will be ready for what's coming. Because I do think some of the things that I said tonight will be coming, maybe in your lifetime, depending upon how old we're going to be. And, you know, if you go over to the astral world from, from right, even right now, uh, you'll see some of this stuff if you can get your consciousness at least up to the uh, third subworld. So you will get experience. 